you have your Bible, go and grab those. Uh, I'm privileged to be here this morning, to be the pastor here at Calvary. Thank you for attending and supporting the church. Uh, Today we will read John chapter 8, verses 21 through 32. And if you remember, this passage comes in the middle of what I call the Feast of Booths discourse. John 7 and 8 is that discourse with John chapter 9 being a miracle right after it. And all of uh, these occur around the annual feast. And if you remember, this feast celebrates Israel's 40 years in the desert. And to this point in the Gospel of John, we have seen that Jesus is the bread of life. And what does that mean? That He is the provider of eternal life. And that Jesus is the light of the world. That He is Yahweh. He is the pillar of fire, leading all those out of darkness that will follow and believe. And that He is the solution to sin in this world. Today in our discourse in John chapter 8 verses 21 through 32, we see uh, Jesus is a bit of a broken record. We've kind of heard everything he's going to say already, but tucked away in the midst of this uh, monotony, so to speak, we see a nugget of truth for all those that will follow him. Notice what it says in verse 21 of John chapter 8. Then Jesus said again to them, I go away and you will seek me and you will die in your sins. For where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And then Jesus, with endless patience, said to them, You are from below, and I am from above. And you are of this world, and I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. They got the memo, okay. So they were saying to him, who are you? And Jesus said to him, what have I been patiently and graciously saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these things I speak to you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I have heard from him, these things I have spoken In verse 27, they did not realize that he was speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father has taught me, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He spoke these things, many came to believe in Him. And then watch this in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who have believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, saying, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been a slave to anyone. How is it that you say we have become free? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin, but the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. Lord, I thank you for the marvelous grace and love that you extend to us. Lord, thank you for this church. I thank you that we are united in our effort to proclaim your word and to live lives that glorify you, and to proclaim your light to the darkness all around us. Lord, I pray for this morning that you would take my five loaves and two fish, and you would multiply it to feed your people. Lord, I know that my efforts are without merit, without your power and your grace and your spirit to move in our hearts. Lord, I pray that as a consequence of this sermon that we would live lives 
of victory and not of lives that are defeated to sin. Lord, thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, just those that are here, for those that are tuning in, and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you live... Do you live as a captive or a victor? Do you live as a prisoner or as the innocent? My purpose today, in John chapter 8, verses 21 through 32, my purpose for today is for us to walk out living lives as true followers. As those that know the truth and that as those that experience the freedom from the truth. But as I look at this passage, one thing is required. One thing is required for us to live lives that know the truth and that live free by the truth. But as I unpacked this passage this week, I realized that many of us Many of us Christians live life like the Cleveland Browns. Uh, There is a national, or I should say even worldwide holiday tonight. If If you don't know what happens tonight, that's okay. I didn't remember until like three days ago. Uh, but there is something called the Super Bowl that happens tonight. And guess who is in it again for the tenth time? A guy that looks way better than I and is older than I and his name is Tom Brady. And uh, about the, uh, if my wife were in here, she'd be like, yeah, he does look better than you, okay, all right. But about the uh, first time he played in the Super Bowl some 20 years ago, I was a teenager. And uh, I was known in my teenage years for two, really, really just two things, well, three things. You can say one is just my uh, melancholic personality and just my, just get byness. okay. But really, what I was really known for Believe it or not, at one time, I was known for my thick, long, brown hair. It was this uh, epic mane flowing in the wind, as you would imagine. And I believe that's probably why my wife fell for me. And uh, I'm sorry, Laurel. Uh, Those days are gone. (laughs) But second, in high school, I was known for my undying love of sports. But let me clarify, I was known for my obsession. I was really known for my obsession for, really, a TV show called Sports Center. Uh, during the summer, my, between my junior and senior year of high school, I would stay up and I would watch three hours of that show. I would watch the 10 p.m. show, the midnight show, and the 1 a.m. show. And what's weird about that is, just looking back, each show was basically the same, so I would watch the same, same show three times. I'm not sure why I did that. But over time, I made one kind of simple observation about just sports. I noticed that the same teams won every year, and the same teams lost every year. And it was kind of strange how predictable that actually was. I mean, just think about off the top of your head, what are the sports teams that win every year? Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing stuff, but the New York Yankees, right, blah. The New England, okay. The New England Patriots, Roll Tide, Nick Saban, okay. The 1990s Atlanta Braves, the Chicago Bulls of the 90s. But then the same teams lost every year. 
Up until recently, it was the Chicago Cubs, the L.A. Clippers, and the bottom of the rung, the Cleveland Browns. But what's the difference? What's the difference between the Tom Brady's of the world and the Cleveland Browns? What's the difference between Nick Saban and the Tennessee Volunteers? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that was messed up. Sorry. But what's the, I mean, what's the, but what's the difference between the two? I mean, they have the same amount of games. They have the same opportunity to recruit, recruit players. But one always seems to win and always, one always seems to lose. Perhaps it's not about the players. Perhaps it's a little bit deeper than that. Perhaps it's not really about the schedule or the amount of money that that team has. But perhaps it's about a mindset. I believe the difference between the Cleveland Browns and Tom Brady is a mindset. When they get on the field, one seems destined to win and one seems destined to lose. The difference is a victorious mindset. This is a cultural example of a spiritual principle. This sports example demonstrates a biblical idea. That oftentimes the difference between the Billy Grahams of the world and the average churchgoer is not charisma or opportunity or talent or gifting. The difference between a Christian titan for God and a church benchwarmer is often just a mindset. Because what is the truth? The truth is that in Christ we are all equal. We have been given all the same spiritual blessings. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given a spiritual gift to exercise. We each have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We each have the same Bible. We each have endless opportunities to present the gospel to our co-workers, to our church, or to our church, hopefully not to our church, but to our family members and to our friends. As Christians, we each are heirs of God. We each possess the inseparable love of God. We each have been set free from the chains of sin and death. We each have been set free from the oppression of the law. Yet, Christians, some of us live like Billy Graham and some of us live like the Cleveland Browns. But I propose to you that it's not so much about charisma it's not so much about opportunity. It's not so much about where you grew up or how you grew up. But oftentimes, I believe it's a certain mindset that we have. Because as a true disciple, what I see in John chapter 8 is that there is one discipline. There is one thing, one mindset that we should concentrate on that leads to three different effects. And one of those effects is spiritual fruit and living free from the chains of sin and death. What is the one essential discipline or mindset that each believer in Christ should have? If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn in those to John chapter 8. And what I see in John chapter 8 from verses 21 through 32, specifically here this morning, I see three different mindsets. I see Jesus's in verse 21. I see the Jews' mindset in verses 22 through 30. And, and then I see the mindset for true followers, those who really want to live free from sin in verses 30 through 32. Notice with me the first mindset, which is Jesus's in verse 21. And it reads, and it goes like this. Then Jesus said to them again. Notice that word again. This is not the first time he has said this exact phrase. I go away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. If you have a pen, circle that word die. I'm going to talk about it here in just a few minutes. That you will die in your sin for where I am going 
you cannot come. What is Jesus' mindset? I mean, throughout all of his ministry, throughout the three years to this point, or probably more about two and a half, what is Jesus' mindset over and over again? It is always in the there and then. There, I go away for where I'm going. You cannot come there with the Father in obedience to him. And then then, the future, what awaits all people. And what does he say in the future tense? That you will die in your sin. Jesus always sees things from a heavenly perspective, from a holistic idea. Why? It's because Jesus is not just a man. He is God. I mean, if we have said anything to this point, okay, if you've been in the Gospel of John for even two weeks, then you have heard it over and over again that Jesus is far more than just a man, but that He is Yahweh, that He is God. So he, it, it, makes, it makes total sense why he would see things from a heavenly perspective. And notice he says that he will go away in the there. He is focused on heaven and that those who reject Jesus will die in their sins. Now, a lot of preachers don't like to talk about that, but it is just the truth. And sometimes the truth just hurts. But then notice verse 24 again. Jesus repeats the same phrase. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, I am He right there, is literally I am, ego Amy once again, proclaiming Himself to be Yahweh, unless you believe that I am Yahweh, I am He, you will die in your sins. Wait a second. How many times does Jesus say that he, they're going to die in their sins? He says it three times within just about 20 seconds. Why? Why does Jesus repeat himself that you will die in your sins? In the original, in, in the Bible, if you see something repeated, oftentimes it's repeated for the sake of emphasis. Jesus is trying to get these Jewish people who think they are justified by the law, and because they're a child of Abraham, and because of circumcision, they think that they're justified, declared innocent before God based on what they do. But what is Jesus saying? That you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am He. He is emphasizing that if they reject Him as Savior, that they will be cast out of the presence of God forever. That how you grew up does not save you. But then I want you to, like I said earlier, I, I, we looked, I kind of told you to circle that word die. For the next like couple of minutes, I'm going to kind of unpack the original language on that word itself. The Greek word behind that word die is the Greek word apothnesko. Yes, I said the apothnesko. It is a future tense and it's indicative mood. The indicative mood is the mood of certainty in the original language. The Greek tense, I'm going to go a little bit deeper into the original language here. The Greek tense tells me time and aspect. The Greek mood tells me the level of certainty. And then the Greek voice tells me the action of the verb. The Greek active voice tells me that the action, the subject of the verb is doing the action. I hit the ball. The passive voice is telling me the action of the verb is being done to the subject. I was hit by the ball. But what this word is here with die, it's a middle voice. Okay, so what does that mean? Go, wait, wait, okay, let me just draw you in about something. Reading the Bible in Greek is like watching TV in high definition color and reading the Bible in English is like watching TV in black and white. You see the same basic image, but in Greek you see so much more detail because we can't see, what we can't see about this word die is that it is a middle voice. The middle voice is this, that you, the subject of the verb is doing the action of the verb to themselves or for their own benefits. 
So in other words, I hit myself with the ball. I don't know why you would ever do that. But here in verse 21 and 24, the Greek word for die is a middle tense Greek verb. In other words, what? They do it to themselves. That dying in their sin is a decision that they must make for themselves. Jesus gives them an opportunity of eternal life, but they're the ones that have to take it and believe in it themselves. So basically, it's not Jesus' fault that they die in their sins. First off, we sinned in the garden. We inherited our original sin from Adam in Romans chapter 5. But then we continue to sin, and that it is our fault if we reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our fault if we die in our sins. The word die here is saying that they must choose for themselves if they are going to believe or not. But I'm, this word die in the middle, middle voice confirms a theological doctrine to me. Oftentimes we as human beings, we like the black and white of doctrines, but really oftentimes the truth is in the middle. We like to think about free will, or predestination, but the truth is is that both exist. That God the Father must draw people in, but then also, He says here, basically, that you have the choice, that you can either die in your sins, or, or you can believe in Me. The choice is yours. Even today, yes, some of us have been predestined. That's in the Bible. But we also, somehow, someway, have free will. That we each must choose for ourselves if we are going to surrender our lives and believe in the Son. We must choose. And Jesus is saying that to them, that they will die in their sins by their own choice. So Jesus is always focused on the there and then, but then notice the Jewish mindset. Notice what they constantly focus on and notice the reason why they continually reject who Jesus is. Verse 22. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 23. And Jesus was saying to them, you are from below. Ooh, ouch. I am from above. You are of this world. The world meaning the domain of darkness, everything that has been broken by sin. Right? You are of this world of sin. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will surely, for the third time, die in your sins by your own choice. Verse 25. So they were saying to Him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but you are exhausting me. But he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to you. They did not realize that he was speaking to them about the Father. And Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man in the future, you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. How many of you have heard those phrases repeated like 25,000 times in the Gospel of John? What is the Jewish, Jewish mindset? Why do they continually reject Jesus as Savior? You have Jesus who is focused on the there and then, there with the Father and then in the future that they will die in their sins. But the Jewish mindset is always focused on what? The here and now. 
they are always focused on the here and now. But then notice what really confuses them. What confuses them about Jesus? Verse 24, they struggle to understand what? Where Jesus is going. Verse 25, they struggle to understand who Jesus is. And then in verses 26 through 29, they struggle to understand what Jesus' message means. But this is insanity to me. It's insanity. And as I said last week, if I was Jesus, I would just start zapping people, okay? Because how many times has he explained this? How many times has he unfolded to the nation of Israel who he is, where he is going, and what his message truly is? I'll tell you how many times. Alright, so they struggle to understand where Jesus is going. When did he already explain that? He explained his intention in John chapter 7 verse 35 that he was going back to the Father. What did they think he was talking about? They said, is he going to go to the dispersion amongst the Greeks? What is that? That is, Is Jesus, instead of thinking that Jesus is going to go to heaven, they think he's going to run away to the Jewish people living throughout the Roman Empire. And then here in John chapter 8, they think that Jesus is going to kill himself. Now what we can't see in this culture is what they're really doing in verse 22. And I'm going to read that again really quick. He says, therefore the Jews are saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? What they're really saying there is, what we can't understand in their culture is that the Jewish culture reserved the hottest places of hell for those that killed themselves. So what are they saying? They're kind of mocking Jesus in a sense. So they struggle to understand where he's going. They struggle to understand who he is in verse 25. What does he say in verse 25? What do they say? Who are you? Oh, man. After I would get that one, that's when I'd start just really just, just disappearing people. Because what has he said from the beginning? Who is he? Since the beginning of the prologue in John chapter 1 all the way through now for the last two and a half years, who is Jesus? He has proven it by his works, by his message, by his perfection. That he is the prophet, he is the Christ or the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, that he is God, that he is Yahweh over and over again. And then they doubt his message in verses 26 through 29. They struggle to comprehend it. And what is his message? What is Jesus' message from the very beginning? That those who would believe in him would have eternal life. Over and over again. He explains it in different ways by saying those who come to me, all those who are hungry and thirsty who come to me. Right? He's explained it in many, many different ways. As a matter of fact, Jesus has communicated his message to the nation of Israel 12 times to this point. 12! John 3.16, John 3.36, John 4.39, John 5.24, John 6.29, John 6.36, John 6.64, John 7.5, John 7.31, John 7.38, and then John 8.24. He has explained it to the nation of Israel that if they would just believe in Him, that they would no longer die in their sins, but they would have eternal life. And continually, they reject Him. Why? Jesus is always focused about his Father and what does the future hold, and they are always focused on the here and now. They only see before him, they only see this man. They see Jesus the prophet. But what they fail to see is that Jesus is so much more than that. 
you know, this week as I was uh, unpacking this passage, I I actually took great comfort from this section um, because I take great comfort knowing that Jesus himself struggled to convert people to Christianity. I find that amazing because if anybody should have been able to evangelize the whole world, it should have been him who is God who created every single person, right? I take great comfort in the fact that Jesus struggled to convert people to the Christian life. I mean, I had a, I had a, I had a brother in Christ uh, tell me recently that he said, you know, I don't know if I have the gift of evangelism. Clearly, Jesus didn't either, all right? I mean, it's just amazing that these people can have the Son of God, the Messiah, the Creator of the world, standing before them, have been presented the Gospel 12 times, have seen all of these miracles, and they still do not believe in the Son. I think a lot of people in churches today are the Jews. There are people that fill the pews up all around the world that have heard the gospel shared time and time again and they think because they know the truth that they believe in the truth. There is a difference between the two. So many times Christians fool themselves just like the Jewish nation. They think because they're a good person and think they've gone to church all their life, think that because they grew up in a Christian home that they're saved. But nothing can be further from the truth. The only thing that saves you is Jesus Christ by faith in Him. I share this on a pretty regular basis that I am terrified when I get to heaven that people in my churches, people that came, would, would come up to the pearly gates and would be turned away because they never believed even though they thought they had. I find great comfort in the fact that Jesus clearly struggled to believe, get people to believe in Him but as I also look at this passage, you know, it is not our job as Christians to emotionally manipulate people to make decisions. That is the greatest, that's a great tactic. And, and, and it, I, some part of me would love to tell you that 25,000 people have come to Christ in the sanctuary over the last year. I would love to be able to say that. I do not know the exact number itself. But, I, but our job is not to force decisions our job is to present the gospel with our life and our loves and our deeds. We should always present the gospel with our life, love, and deeds. Uh, there is a uh, non-believer in my family that I put on the prayer list some probably about a year ago now, and for every Wednesday night we have prayed for their salvation and they have been this close to be believing in Jesus Christ. I mean, this close. And for three years, I've seen them turn away from the gospel in Jesus Christ. And I think the reason they do is because they think they are good. They think because they know the truth that they believe the truth. But I look right through that and I see the condition of their soul. And I know that they are most likely not saved. And I have... After a year of praying for them, after three years of witnessing to them and building a relationship with this person in my family, I, you know, I grow weary. And I say, you know, Lord, what, what could I have said differently? What could I have done differently to convince them of the truth? But then I look at Jesus. You know, if, if, if He has struggles 
causing the entire nation of Israel to believe, then how much more will we? Friends, do not give up on your non-believing friends. Do not give up on your family. For the Lord is working on them, and they are looking to you as a light in the darkness. Continue. Do not lose heart. Continue presenting the gospel as Jesus does in the Gospel of John. The nation of Israel is rejecting Jesus often because he is they only see the here and now. But then we see a different mindset. We do see some people believe in Jesus in John chapter 8 verse 30. We see the first mindset of Jesus. He's always focused on the there and then. We see the Jewish mindset that are only focused on the here and now. We'll see a little bit more next week. And then we see the Jewish nation, or the, those who believe, have a different mindset altogether. Verse 30. It says, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who have believed in him, if you continue in my word, notice that. Notice, notice the conditional statement there. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What is the proper mindset for all true disciples of Christ? If you want to be a follower of Christ all your days, what must we do? Verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who have believed in Him, If you continue in My Word, then you are truly My disciples. What is the one mindset that we each, as believers in Jesus Christ, must have? We must continue in His Word. We must remain in Him. That's what He says. Right? You see, you see a cause and effect. I'll get into that in just a minute. But, but how? Okay, how do we do that? How did they do that back then? I mean, Jesus is talking. There's no uh, written Bible at 25 that we have on our counters, right, or on our on our bookshelves. There's no really com- completed Bible form in a codex. How do they do that? They do that by being with Jesus. How they continue in my word. They live with him. But how do we do that today? We have, friends, listen, we have a dis- distinct advantage to the disciples in the first century. That we have the completed word of God. That we have the opportunity to read it at all times. That we must remain in the word. That we must remain in his word. That we have Jesus' completed scripture. But I want you to notice the structure of verses 31 and 32. I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. It says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What's the relationship there? You know, originally when I was unpacking this, I thought it were a bunch of subordinate clauses, right, that one modified the other, but I don't think that's true. I think this, this is a cause and effect. The cause is the first, if you remain in my word, then you have three effects. Then, you are truly disciples of mine, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The word continue there in the original language is the Greek word minnow, which means to remain. So those who remain in Christ's word will become true disciples, will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But the opposite is true as well. That if you are living currently, right now, if there is a sin that is enslaving you, if there is something that is driving you crazy that you feel like you cannot shake, if you feel like you do not know 
That word know is the Greek word gnosko. It means intimate knowledge. If you feel like you do not know the Bible, if you feel like you are not a true disciple, then what should we do? It says, if you continue in my word, we should remain in Christ and in his word. That's what he says. And then notice it says, and the truth will make you free. Free from what? Free from the bondage of falsehood, Satan, condemnation, judgment, spiritual ignorance, spiritual death, and from here, freedom from sin. And then notice the cap. Notice how Jesus cap capitalizes and completes this thought, verse 36. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. But in order to be freed, in order to be, feel and experience the freedom from sin, in order to know the truth, in order to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, we must continue in His Word. That's what it says. We must remain in it. The correct mindset for all true followers is in the here and now, as we live, that we should remain in Him. In the here and now, we should remain in Him. But what do we often do? Let's just be real for just a second. Let's just pull down the, the, the scales that we like, like to hide behind. What do we typically do? That in the here and now, we remain in the here and now, right? We only worry about the here and now. Our schedules, our, our, our struggles, our conflict. But what is Jesus saying? That if you have struggles... If you want to be a true disciple, if you want to know my truth, you must remain in my word. As I said from the beginning, I've known too many church members that live like the Cleveland Browns. That have this defeated, downtrodden, depressed, enslaved mindset. But according to the truth, not just here, but according to Romans and far beyond, we are not meant to live as slaves to sin. But what is the truth? We have been cut free from those, but now we are slaves to righteousness. That if we have struggles in our personal life, there's something we cannot shake. If we do not know the truth, if we want to be a true disciple, then we must meditate and remain in His Word. You know, even this week, I was reflecting upon, especially verse 31 and 32, and I was just, man, it's just, you know, I'm not going to air out my dirty laundry too much, but just since the whole COVID thing, right, I've just been kind of discouraged and downtrodden, just kind of bummed out, just stressed out of my mind, feeling attacked, feeling isolated, you know, for a year. And then I read here, and I just kind of realized that, you know, Byron, you're focusing too much on the here and now. You're focusing too much on the worry at hand. But instead, you should be focusing on the there and then. Instead, you should be focusing on what you have in Christ Jesus, that we've been freed from all of this, all of the sin in the world, and all the, the enslavement that we have, that we should remain in Him. But the million-dollar question is this. How do we remain in Christ's Word? If we remain in Christ's word, we see the effect, right? We see that we are true disciples. We see that we will know the truth and that we will be freed by the truth. We see that in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, that if we are living enslaved, we're living defeated lives, then we should continue in his word. But the million dollar question is this, how do we do it, right? How do we remain in Christ's word? 
there's a couple of different things that we can do. I, I, you know, we can read the scripture, we can meditate on the scripture, we can memorize the scripture, we can study it, we can get in a Bible study, we can have an accountability partner. But there is one way that I found in my life to really remain in Him, remain in His Word. It is by teaching the Word. The first book I ever taught was the book of James. And that was a doozy. If you've ever read the book of James, it is like being punched in the face, like every line. Uh, sorry. <laughs> okay, it's just the truth. And that was the first book I ever taught was the book of James. And I was 19 years old. I was leading a small group of two 15-year-olds and an 18-year-old. And I realized... By teaching the Word, I remained so much more in the Word than they were. That teaching the Scripture forced me to root myself and ground myself in the Scripture. I learned far more. I remained far more in the Word by teaching the Scripture than by being a student. If you struggle to be a true disciple, if you struggle to know the truth, if you struggle to feel free by the truth, then continue His Word by teaching teaching the truth. Find an opportunity to teach the scripture. Some of you might say that I don't have the gifts of teaching. Some of you might say that I don't have the opportunity to teach. And I say that there are plenty of opportunities to teach the word, to force us to remain in him. There's Awana, there's your grandkids, there's your children. If you need a place to teach the word, then just come talk to me. Preachers can keep you busy for days and years. If you want to remain in his word, if you want to be a true disciple who knows the truth, who lives freed by the truth, then you must remain in him. Friends, let us not set our eyes on the here and now. Let us not set our eyes on the stresses and worries and sin of this world. Let us not grow discouraged by the darkness that we see. Let us not grow weary from the trials that we face. But let us stand in Christ Jesus, who has bought our souls by his blood, who has given us grace and freedom, who has given us in this life freedom from sin, and in that life eternal aliveness forever in his presence. Let us be true followers who remain in Christ at all times. Here in just a moment, I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come forward. Today it will be Brenda and Harvey. Um, during the last song or following the last song after we dismiss to be here present. Just real quick. If you have never believed in Jesus Christ, then you've heard the gospel here this morning. It's all over the, the pages and words of John chapter 8. That you and I are sinners and that if we would believe in him, we would have eternal life. If you have never surrendered your life to him, if you have never believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then believe in him and be saved. Believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Believe in Christ and you shall be saved. Pray with me.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you that we can gather together. Uh, Lord, there's just so much chaos in the world. Every Sunday, it feels different just because different people, different circumstances with COVID and with the world and those being home. Lord, every Sunday feels different, but you have never changed. And you are still in control. And your love still extends to all. Lord, I pray that we, as true followers, as those that want to be your disciples, your learners, I pray that we would remain in you, that we would not be distracted by the life and by the world that is out there, by the darkness that entices us away from the light, but Lord, that we would follow the pillar of fire, that we would follow you guiding us through the darkness of this world. Let us be bold. Let us not be fearful of the consequences of sharing our faith. Let us not be fearful, but let us be encouraged and strengthened by your Spirit. Lord, I just pray for those that do not know you. Perhaps they know you in mind or in theory. Perhaps they can tell you what the gospel is, but they've never believed. For those that have never believed, I pray that they would turn their hearts to you, that they would repent of their sin, and that today they would believe. That they would not put it off, but they would see inside of their soul and spirit the grace and the Holy Spirit that you've extended to them, and that they would ask of you to come into their life and shape them and mold them and save them. Lord, I pray that we would be bold. If you're calling one of us in this room to come forward to talk during the last song and following the service, Lord, I pray that you would give us strength and courage to come forward and to talk and have someone pray for us and minister to us. Lord, thank you for this morning and for this church. I thank you for our love for one another and our love for your scripture. And let us be bold in making disciples of all nations. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.